Greg, do you have the bag of um? Where's the bag? Hang on. Okay. It is well with my soul. Oh, it's beautiful. All right, should we just get into it? The the bag appreciates your comment, Liz. (laughs) (laughs) All of these lines across my face tell you the story of who I am. So many stories of where I've been, and now I got to where I am. Welcome to Popping Collars the podcast that lives at the intersection of religion and pop culture. Do we still say that? Yeah, we, yeah, we can say oh, okay. we can say whatever we want. You know what we can also say? We're the longest running Episcopal podcast. Oh my God. Really? That's right. <laughs> Is that true? Heck yeah, man. Well, wow. we're coming to you live from um, day 786 of coronavirus lockdown. Um, we all have some hair. I'm just going to say that. You can't see us. It's really Greg and I that are rocking like the Rona hair. Oh, yeah. You can't see. Yeah, you guys look great, though. But let's do a little introduction. My name is Liz Easton. I'm the canon to the ordinary in the Diocese of Nebraska. This week was supposed to be every year the bishop and I do a week-long residency in the western part of Nebraska. And oh, that was the cowboy Camino. Yeah, so that would have been this week. So it's, it's a bummer. Sad to be missing that. So sticking close to home instead. Um, I'm going to throw it to you, Ricardo. What are you up to? Who are you? I don't always know myself, Liz, <laughs> but thank you. Uh, yeah, Ricardo Avila. I am the rector of St. Luke's Episcopal Church in beautiful Los Gatos, California, uh, in the South Bay of the Bay Area. The parish, they're a bunch of troopers. They really, they've been so sweet and so kind about um going with the flow and getting on zoom and doing the Facebook live. And I have, I have not mastered, you know, you see, you see other churches with these unbelievable, I don't know how they do it. They do a video within a video and they do the multiple choirs business. And I am like, I am thrilled to have recorded someone else preaching ahead of time. And then I take the laptop of the recording and put it close up <laughs> to the iPhone <laughs> on Facebook live. I love and, and it. I try to keep it even. And loud. And that is um, that is a triumph for me. And, you know, they don't seem to mind. They're they're really kind and they understand that, you know, things have to be a little less professional. That's awesome. I love that. That's our story here, too. It's been um, it's been amazing, an amazing act of community, how everyone's coming together around this. Um, What about you, Betsy? What are you up to? Betsy Carmody, I serve here in the uh, the Episcopal High School and the head chaplain here in beautiful Alexandria, Virginia, in the uh, northern Virginia area where we still we got a we got a quarantine extension up here because we are not doing great. So we are working on that. But uh, but school's about to be over. So we've been distance learning and it's now moving into a lot of trying to plan for next year and what that's going to look like. And so. It feels like I'm just trying to keep my meetings separated and away from my other meetings. But again, I am also so grateful to be living where I work and being a teacher and being able to still have a job and paycheck and all that stuff, all of it. And the dining hall is still open a little bit. It's very helpful. Greg, what about you? Hey, man. Uh, Greg Knight. I'm the director of Children (laughs) and Youth Ministries at the Church of Bethesda by the Sea in Palm Beach, Florida. The big news for us is that our beaches just opened this week. I got to tell you, it's nothing like walking on an empty beach 
finding a bunch of seashells because nobody's been out there, you know? So you got like a ton of seashells to find and stuff. It's great. So this is the Popping Collar's fifth annual book club episode. Now, some of us are finding in our time of quarantine that um, we're reading more and there's more time to read and that's fun. I know that others are finding it very difficult to read. So wherever you are in your reading journey, um, we're going to have some recommendations for you. And we're doing it round robin style. An early quote from Popping Collar's history was, I'm a priest and I read books, um, which was more making fun of priests talking about how many books they read. But he, but here we are again. Um, so, you, mean, you mean Liz on the, the longest running Episcopal podcast? Popping Collar, right. Is that that's, what you're yeah, saying? That was an early Thank quote you. from the longest running Episcopal I'm podcast. I'm sorry. Are you talking about the award winning? Longest running, yeah. number one Episcopal podcast in the country. Yeah. Did I, hear you, did I hear you right? You're saying this, you're talking about Popping Collars, the longest running Episcopal podcast in Episcopal podcast history, the t shirt selling, award winning podcast. Uh-huh. Yeah. Hold up. What, Are you talking it? about the flagship <laughs> podcast oh of the God. Episcopal? Cafe Podcast Network, Network. Popping Collars? Uh-huh. <laughs> the very same. That's right. All right. So Greg is, is, is using the little, um, the algorithm, the very high-tech podcast algorithm to pick our names as we begin our round robin. We're each going to um, recommend three books in no particular order in terms of our favorites. Yeah, or ha- wait, how many, Betsy? How many did you pick? One oh, girl <laughs> got some work to do. Yeah, that's how we always do it. <laughs> okay. Just make it up, Betsy. You'll be fine. <laughs> Betsy will be at her bookcase for a while. Betsy's scrolling yeah. through Audible right now, and uh, we'll see her later on in the show. So, Greg, the algorithm picked you. The yeah. bag, which you called beautiful before, it and is you just beautiful. Called little. This, <laughs> this well, it's little. It's beautiful okay. and little. It is well with my soul. Liz Easton, did yeah. you know that the band, the Rolling Stones, right? I've heard of them. Yep. They put out a single earlier this year called yeah. Life in a Ghost Town. Yep. The Rolling Stones. So it is the year 2020. The Rolling Stones formed as a band in 1962. Wow. So that means we are two years away from a band that is 60 years old and still making music for a 60 year old band. It's a, it's a decent song. (laughs) Well, we're a five year old podcast. So what's your book recommendation? Well, see, so that's what led me down this road is I couldn't believe that the stones were still making music like that was phenomenal to me. So of course I had to go back to the old library and pull down life by Keith Richards and start leafing through it again. I got to tell you, I'm not, you know, autobiographies never really my thing. I, f- I feel like sometimes they sort of like they're, they're half hagiography, half like, you know, some kind of marketing tool. But when a book starts with the stones, like in the deep South, uh, riding around in a car full of drugs, getting pulled over by a highway patrol in like Alabama or something. Like that's a good start to a story. And and Keith Richards just kind of goes from there, right? I'm thinking about our time that we live in 
And I've heard a lot of people say that, like, you know, if I'm stuck at home, like, that's just not a way to live a life. I don't know what living a life means. Like, I know that, like, we are a product of our experiences and the people that we come into contact with and a little bit of who we are by nature. And we kind of make choices along the road that lead us down a path. And at the end of the day, that's what we call our life. And whether or not we live that well, I don't who's to judge? I Certainly not me. But what I will say is that Keith Richards made a ton of choices that maybe like someone like me who likes to look at people like that wish that they could make, you know, but yeah. I'm probably way too scared to make the same choices. And as a result, just from beginning to end, tells this compelling story of life and loss and heartbreak and glory. And it just, it, it all comes back to this constant that he keeps referencing in the book, which is that he just loves the blues and all that the blues kind of encompasses. And he just wants his life to be one big blues song. And he goes about making it that. Pick it up again if you haven't read it lately. Life by Keith Richards. That's awesome. I've heard that that's a great book. I've never read it myself, but I've heard it's a good, good rock and roll story. Who's the bag? Tell us it goes next. It's a B. Betsy. Yeah, yes. Okay. <laughs> she's got one. She's got one. You know, she has- I got one, but I'm going to save the one I've actually finished. To leave. <laughs> All right. Ooh, nice. Okay, so we're going to start with a book that was um, recommended for me by a friend of mine who is like her, her, the way she kind of prefaced the book was she's like, the title is racier than it is. And yes, it is from Reese Witherspoon's book club, but it's really good. It's Ballycore Jasmine's erotic stories for Punjabi widows, which is really good. And this is, this is my most recent start I have had it sitting here on my pile and I really have enjoyed the book so far. It's set in the Punjabi area um, of, uh, of London and just this, you know, some modern day, you know, clashing with um, ancient, you know, older stories, um, communities of old and young, a generational story. And, and just that we've got kind of our down and out protagonist who's just trying to make a little money and she's going to teach creative writing at the local temple to the older ladies and has figured out that, Oh no, part of the problem here is that they can't write Mm. at all. She's working with women who have lived different lives and stories that they have not told maybe to each other, but maybe not at all. And then interweaving with a woman at the, at the center who hired her and the story of her with her own daughter. I I'm really into this and I'm excited that I finally picked it up and I'm very thankful to my friend Lauren who who recommended it and I'm excited to see where it goes so that's the erotic stories for Punjabi widows the narrow corridor connecting Nikki's bedroom to the kitchenette was not suitable for pacing with uneven floorboards that creaked in various pitches under the slightest contact she traveled up and down the corridor nonetheless gathering her thoughts in tiny steps What was her sister thinking? Sure, Mindy had always been more traditional. Once, Nikki had caught her watching an internet video on how to roll perfectly round rotis, but advertising for a groom, it was so extreme. Awesome. Thank you. Wow. 
Wow. It's a title <laughs> grabber. I mean, the, it is. The, the I mean, title it grabs is. You. It is. Oh, yeah, get you. Totally. yeah. Yeah. But don't, don't, it's not like, don't go running like, you know, the East Germans when the wall came down to go see sex lines <laughs> and videotape. It's not going to be what you think it's going to be. Ricardo's up next. What have you got for us, Ricardo? I sure am up next. Thank you, Liz. Um, well, just this last year, I took an inventory of all of my books and I made a document with uh, fiction alphabetized by author's last name, nonfiction general, then religious. And now I'm keeping track of every book I finish, whether on audiobook or paper. And so I actually can just look back and see what I've read. And so kind of researching this was pretty easy because I've got documentation. That said, I'm not sure what, thank you. Thank you for the <laughs> soundless applause, Betsy. <laughs> you know, it's weird. It's so fulfilling. Like I can type in, I finished the book. I've got to go to the document and type it in. So the, the, the one of that, that said, one of the three books that I'm going to pick to that today, um, I might've chosen for last year's book club. <laughs> so forgive me if it's a repeat. Uh, this one is not that one though. So my uh, third choice, uh, and it's called Disappearing Earth, and it's a novel, and it's by a woman named Julia Phillips. The backdrop is a place I've never really thought about ever. Uh, it's the, uh, the, the Russian province of Kamchatka, which is a peninsula on the far east coast of Russia. And yes. players, um, players of Risk know it well, the board game Risk. Right. But yeah, The Amazing Race that. has not gone there, at least in the <laughs> six right. seasons I've watched so far. <laughs> okay. Well, now they might because of now this book. Now they might. Um, so Kamchatka is the peninsula, and the largest city uh, on the peninsula is Petropavlovsk. And so, you know, the, what this novel is basically about the disappearance of two girls, two sisters. That becomes sort of the, I don't know, like the catalyst for hearing all of these other stories of people that interweave, you know, the whole interweaving thing. They interweave in and out of each other's lives, and so-and-so is friends with so-and-so, it is dating that person. But you get these really fully formed, each chapter is a new person, and I think they're almost all women. And one of the main themes of the novel is kind of violence against women, uh, or women just trying to get out of their circumstance. And it's, you know, depressing. It's Russia. It's super winter cold. Um, but... It's so compelling because you get so wrapped in to this world. You can picture the snow. You can picture the cold and the, the, the kind of, you can feel the despair of some of the characters. But, you know, it all weaves together throughout. And you'll recognize a character that you heard about who was the main character three chapters ago weaving through here. So it comes to a culmination and a climax at the end that is unresolved. But you sort of think you know what's going to happen, and you're really rooting for that to be the case. So I loved it. It was interesting. You know, at first I thought, oh, my God, a new character every chapter. I can't keep track of these people. But they started repeating, and she's such a good writer uh, that um, you were really in that world. And so Disappearing Earth, I, I don't know what else to say. It's, it's like a, it's a murder mystery, or it's a disappearance mystery, but it's also like a, like a geographical kind of almost memoir. So that is my th number three pick, Disappearing Earth, a novel by Julia Phillips. <laughs> yeah. So weirdly, Ricardo, my book sounds exactly like that book, but set in West Texas. 
like exactly Whoa. like it. And it's called Valentine by Elizabeth Wetmore. But it's a it's a novel about a young teenage girl who gets in the truck of a young man and um, is taken out into the oil fields in West Texas and is sexually assaulted. And then the rest of the book is um, each chapter is the story of a different woman um, in this. It's in Odessa, Texas, which is the um, the town that Dylan, Texas, was based on for Friday Night Lights fan in um, the 1970s during the oil boom there. And so it sounds really similar. And what I loved about it is sort of what you were describing, Ricardo, was that each chapter eventually, eventually the, the characters do repeat and they tell such a richly woven story of these women's lives in a small town that you sort of, it's not a very long book, but I sort of felt like I had read five novels when I was done with it. And of course the premise is very dark, but um, there was a hopefulness about sort of the spirit of women in particular, but women in tough situations um, that came through and sort of a sisterhood of how women support each other going through hard and dark times in life. And for a quarantine read, it was a little um, rougher maybe than I hoped it would be. It was a little dark, but um, just a beautiful, rich, rich book. A debut novel, um, which I think is always kind of fun. So highly recommend it. If you want to read the same book that Ricardo mentioned, only set in the summer in um, Odessa, Texas. <laughs> so, What are the publication dates? What are we working with here? Well, this was um, this was published in um, March of this year, so it's brand new. Oh, see, this is from uh, April, Uh-oh. May, twenty nineteen. Um, alleged, alleged, all Uh-oh. alleged. Yeah, yeah. using uh, anything. All alleged. I feel like this could easily be like a deep impact Armageddon situation, though, where like right. two people were clearly influenced by the same kind of thing and and heading right. in the same direction. I wanted to say that uh, there was an NPR review of Disappearing Earth. And it's funny that you mentioned that your book is the same but takes place in America because there's a quote from the NPR review. Disappearing Earth comes closer in spirit to great American literature than most of the fiction set within U.S. borders. So it's interesting. I I can't say why they said that, but... um, that I, it, it, it doesn't, it feels far away yet close, you know, even yeah. small town stuff, you know, this stuff happens all the time. Mm. Yeah. Sadly universal. Um, all right, Greg, why don't we just go back okay. in the same order? Then the, you, you're off bag duty now. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. That's right. The, 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 bag bag. Is, the bag is retired. Um, the bag appreciates being called beautiful. <laughs> so Questionable on the little, but the bag is happy to help us. In any way. Uh, so I, I wish I could say that I'm going to bring us up a little bit from the previous two books. But I don't know. I think I'm just going to kind of take us sideways. Uh, so there is a new podcast out called uh, Way Down in the Hole, which is hosted by Jamel Hill and Van Lathan. Um, they are going episode by episode through The Wire. Oh, wow. Uh, and oh, wow. revisiting the story of The Wire. 
So if you don't know The Wire, The Wire was a TV show that came out um, in the early 2000s. It was set in Baltimore. It was on the heels of um, a show called Homicide, which was run by uh, David Simon. Yeah. And this was just an extension of what David Simon had started with Homicide and with a miniseries that he had done on HBO called The Corner. And The Wire was an extension of that. But what The Wire mostly was, was kind of a deep dive into how the drug trade in Baltimore worked. And then it basically kind of like set out tendrils from there. How does how does the drug trade affect um, politics? How does it affect trade unions? How does it affect schools? How does it affect journalism? Mm-hmm. So it just kind of like, it just showed like all the, all the ways these institutions are affected um, by this, what they call the game, right? Um, in Baltimore, it's the it's the the drug game. So it's a really pretty exhaustive look um, at this one thing, and it comes out to ultimately a pretty dire picture, which is to say that nothing's really going to change. Like everything, kind of is built around perpetuating this sort of state of existence. The podcast is great. Uh, they do a great job of sort of breaking down characters, breaking down storylines and stuff. But it got me interested in going back and reading a book that came out about a year ago uh, by Jonathan Abrams called All the Pieces Matter. Yo, what's up? Where you at? I don't know. Where you at? Oh, I'm, I'm down in the pit. Just came home. I don't see nobody around. I just want to know, you know, what was up? Ain't nothing going late, man. Uh Let's catch us tomorrow, man. Aye. 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 Later. Non-pertinent. How do you log that non-pertinent? No drug talk? They use codes to hide their patron phone numbers. And when someone does use a phone, they don't use names. And if someone does use a name, he's reminded not to. All of that is valuable evidence. Of what? Conspiracy. Conspiracy? We're building something here, detective. We're building it from scratch. All the pieces matter. So in All the Pieces Matter, Jonathan Abrams sort of gives voice to a show that was really sort of neglected for a long time. Uh, The Wire never was nominated for any awards. And that's not to say that awards are like a criteria for a show being great, um, but it does show recognition. Um, and The Wire was criminally unrecognized for most of its run. Uh, the reason that I would recommend uh, the book All the Pieces Matter is um, because Jonathan Abrams does something in this book that I think is reflected in the show, which is journalism. It's telling a story. So watch The Wire again if you get a chance. And if you are curious about the stories of the lives, because a lot of the stories that they tell on the show are stories of real people and real Mm -hmm. folks who were involved in the game in Baltimore. And a lot of the actors on the show were real people who uh, David Simon and Ed Burns knew uh, going into the show. Um, if you're curious about their stories, read more about them in All the Pieces Matter. Yeah. Wow. wow. That's, that's great. More it's to watch. Again? Yeah, it's back to you. Okay, so I'm your quarantine reader here. Like, that's what I've figured out is, you know, so I just shared a story that I haven't finished reading. And then I'm going to now share this audiobook 
that I haven't finished listening to because I checked it out on overdrive and it expired and oh, somebody else that. now has a hold on it. Oh. So I can't finish it. They do not give you enough time on overdrive. You have to really commit to a library book to get it done before I know. it. Yeah. That's I know. Rough. So I'm, so it's, you know, it's going to come back though. I'm, I, I believe it. And so, and this is by an author that I think I have resisted for a while. I'm really not quite sure. Maybe because I'm the kind of person that like, so it's so contrary. If people love something, I'm like, I don't know. I'll just wait and see. Like, have yeah. I listened? Have I ever listened to the Hamilton soundtrack? No, I have not. I have not listened to it at all. Same. I know some of the things where I don't know what is that thing in us that makes us just go, yeah, well, screw you. I know. I, I know everybody <laughs> loves it, but I don't have to love it. I'm so like, it's like so middle school. I don't it's know your Generation it. X non. I have that. Yeah. Yes. So yeah, what yeah, it, we totally. need to come up with a name for it. That thing that's like, oh, you like that? Oh, everybody likes it? Well, then I don't care. You know, <laughs> or whatever. Like, yeah. I'm somehow going to reject Hamilton before it rejects me? Like, no, it's <laughs> weird. Anyway, um, so Glennon Doyle. I have... Oh not- my god, I'm right with you! I've not wanted to read any Glennon Doyle and for I some reason. I don't know why! Yeah. I have no good reason. You know, I just never got into anything else. And then, you know, I've started to thank you, Instagram... As I I love Abby Wambach, who's now Glenn Doyle's wife, and I you know follow on Instagram, and I'm seeing them in quarantine, the kids and stuff, and I'm like, huh, you know, and I see the book cover in the background sometimes in the in the house. I'm like, huh, Untamed, huh? Okay, all right, you know, interesting premise. I kind of like this. I'm a little starved for some things because I'm not preaching regularly. Like it's a little, you know. So I said, all right, I'll get it. So I got it on Overdrive through the school library here. And it sat on my overdrive for a little bit. And then I was like, all right, I'm going to listen to it. Oh, no, it's going to expire in seven days. Yeah. So I'm like, oh, I got to get on this. Because normally summertime, I'm in the car. It's all about audiobooks. And I love it. And I just haven't been driving anywhere. Started listening to it. And I think I am smack dab in the right age demographic. I have gone through the same life crap. And I, you know, just these things that kind of are like popping off. My friend who's a little younger and hasn't kind of gone, and I said, I'm not trying to age shame you here. She didn't connect with the book in the way that I've been connected with the book, you know, raising kids who are, who are teenagers, you know, and, and living through the stuff of life and really getting to that midpoint of life and being like, what have I built? What are my relate? How are my relationships fulfilling in the ways that I hope they are? Uh, How am I supposed to find myself when I've lost myself, when I'm the caregiver for everybody? And I'm not really putting myself and, you know, there's moments where I've taken the audiobook and walked into my daughter's room and like, I just want you to hear this part right here about how, you know, the number one, you know, person that you need to not disappoint is yourself. You can disappoint me. You can disappoint everybody else. Just don't disappoint yourself. And just this element of not allowing women to sacrifice themselves on the altar of the world. You know, I didn't grow up with some of the same explicit messages or go through the same sort of addictive struggles that she did in terms of eating and drinking. But I think that we're all given those messages at some point, being Gen Xers and, and just of that age, when, when we think that we're so beyond it all, but we're not. And I love the way she just talks about it. And she narrates the book. I think I love it when authors are able to do that. And it's her story. And I've found it really helpful and I'm glad I was able to come back to a self-help book. So now I'm just really excited. I've completed like five of the seven parts. And so I'm going to get back to it. It's like this nugget waiting out there for me 
to kind of come back to. So I'm excited about when I get back to it. So, so Liz, I gave it, I gave it a chance and maybe, yeah. maybe now I'll buy the Hamilton soundtrack. I don't know. <laughs> like, we'll see. <laughs> but yeah. That's so Glenn and Doyle untamed. Ricardo, what have you got for us? Right. So um, my number two choice is the one I think I might have, I, I, I guess I, maybe I didn't choose it last year. Um, it was also one of the New York Times top 10 books of the year. And that list does not come out until December of 2019 or each year. And so our last book club was before then. And I don't, you know, I don't read anything until it's in the top 10. So, <laughs> so I think this is safe. Um, so my number two choice is called uh, Say Nothing, A True Story of Murder and Memory in Northern Ireland by Patrick Radden Keith. I'm sure you've heard of it. It's uh, the cover is so interesting. It's got a person's face and then like a, just a black, I want to say mask, but all you see is this. And then the rest of the page, the book cover is black. And it's basically about the troubles in Northern Ireland, but it's so dense with detail and fact. And it's shocking. I mean, to live in Northern Ireland in the seventies and eighties must've been awful. I just, like you, you, you're fighting for one side. Uh, you then you have to keep quiet when you see them do something awful, you know, like the IRA, or you, you know, your family gets in trouble or you get disappeared. I mean, it was, it was harsh. And the, these, there's so many stories that come out of. It's it's a history, but it centers on a sort of a central mystery: the disappearance of a mother of ten, a widow of ten, Jean Conville who was taken out of her home and murdered. And you don't know who did it through most of the book. And at the end, you have an idea of who did it. Uh, but these kids are left orphaned. And that's nasty. There, I would never want to get behind any organization that would allow that. But it was covered up for years and years. And, um, you know, Jerry Adams, who was part of the NRA, IRA, um, and became really famous and a, a politician, He's embroiled in all this stuff. He does not come off very well. I mean, it's it's riveting. It's like it's a murder mystery. It's scary. It makes you wonder how people survive in such times. I mean, it was basically a guerrilla warfare for, I don't know, 15, 20 years. And then when the IRA kind of becomes part of the establishment, you just think, wow, there's a lot of blood on those hands. And also on the other side, you know, the violence that would be inflicted on people in Northern Ireland. Uh, for religious and political reasons it's um it's just de it's depressing but riveting um so it's again fantastic as an audiobook i think because uh you just you just it 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 envelops you uh so say nothing a true story of murder and memory in northern ireland that sounds great yeah. so for my second choice i'm going to get a little bit religious on you <laughs> yep and recommend Heavens. the book. I know, my goodness. Um, the book Dorothy Day: The World Will Be Saved by Beauty, which is written by Kate Hennessy, and the subtitle of the book is um, "An Intimate Portrait of Dorothy Day." We began talking about what makes for peace, and that is the teaching in the Gospels, the Beatitudes, the Sermon on the Mount, and so on. And to take them literally really meant that you began practicing the works of peace rather than the works of war. And the works of war are the exact opposite of the works of peace. Feeding the hungry when 
we are destroying crops and sheltering the homeless, when we are destroying villages, wiping out cities, it's all the way through, right down the line, the opposite. And Christ proposed, certainly, that the work of the Christian was the works of mercy. And he laid it down as commands, not counsels, in the 25th chapter of St. Matthew. I always say, if you start praying and saying, Lord, what will you have me do? Uh, prayers are answered, and you find yourself doing a lot more than you ever thought you were going to do. So Dorothy Day is a huge, huge hero of mine. For those of you who don't know, uh, she was one of the founders of the Catholic Worker Movement, which... Um, was kind of a Catholic socialist, like they wouldn't have used the word socialist, but kind of a Catholic socialist organization that still exists and uh, was founded in New York City and went on to become really an international organization. But it was based around these um, houses of hospitality where um, poor people would live um, alongside people who, uh, who were poor voluntarily and they lived in community together and served the community and fed the community. But they were also activists for all kinds of things, um, mainly for workers' rights um, and for the poor in their communities, and also became anti-war activists, and they really embraced the Catholic social gospel. So Dorothy Day was one of the founders of that movement. She um, is sort of widely regarded to be... Uh, kind of a saint. And in fact, the Catholic Church is beginning the process of perhaps making her a saint, even though she herself said uh, all the time, do not make me a saint. I don't want that for me. But um, she's a huge inspiration of mine, like a very important figure in my own understanding of my faith. And people often forget that she had a daughter. She had a daughter named Tamar who really was a, a very little girl. Dorothy Day was a single mom. She was a very little girl when the Catholic workers started. So she grew up in the um, Catholic worker movement. She went on to have a ton of kids herself. And her youngest daughter, Dorothy Day's youngest granddaughter, wrote this book. And mm -hmm. it's really beautiful because it's um, a very tender and honest portrayal of family dynamics of mothers and daughters of the um, incredible pressure of growing up in that environment of Dorothy Day's own divided vocations and ministries as a mother and as a organizer and a founder of this movement and a writer. There's a, t there's a tender way that she, that Kate Hennessy also sees her grandmother as a saint and sees her as a real woman. And it's not like a tell-all, you know, it's not like, it's not um, scandalous in that way. It's just really intimate and um, honest and made me even more appreciate her even more than I already did. Really beautiful. Dorothy Day, the world will be saved by beauty. Nice. Did that just come out? It came out in 2017. Okay. Yeah. All right, we're moving on to our number one picks, even though we did not pick them in any order. No, we didn't. That's right. We did not. Just Great. three random you? books. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. So my last book, as Betsy will tell you, I can't get through this without a book that has pictures. Yeah. <laughs> so. Got pictures. Got pictures. 
Yep. So my last book is a book <laughs> called Safe Area Garage Day, which was uh, written and drawn by a reporter named Joe Sacco. Um, Safe Area Garage Day is the story of the town of Garage Day, which was in the former uh, Yugoslavia when he wrote this uh, book. Um, and it's about the this town that is separated from um, the rest of its allies. It's basically like this holdout town that's surrounded by Serbian nationalists. And the people in this town are threatened with invasion at any point. And the Serbians threaten them with invasion constantly. So if you don't know about the history of uh, the Bosnian War, uh, heading into the mid-90s, there was a uh, leader... Um, who rose to power uh, on the back of basically Serbian nationalism in Yugoslavia, named uh, Slobodan Milosevic. Uh, he appealed to the base nature of uh, the folks um, who identified with his ethnicity, um, as he claimed it. And um, basically overnight, neighbors were killing other neighbors in the span of like two years in history. Right. Um, War broke out uh, along ethnic lines Um, and it was the charge was led by uh, by Milosevic. Um, And so, yeah, so Garage Day was this this sort of outskirt town that was very diverse um, at the time. It was made up of a lot of Muslims, a lot of Serbs, and it became like a safe haven uh, surrounded by the enemy. And there was one road that would go into Garage Day. It's called the Blue Road because it was the way that the UN would be able to get supplies into the town. And so they called it the Blue Road because that was the the color of the helmets the UN workers would wear as they went in. And reporters were able to go in. Aid workers were able to go in. But nobody else was able to go in. And certainly nobody was able to leave town. Um, Snipers were set up all around the town. So as soon as someone set foot into the river or across the bridge, they were executed. Sacco is a reporter who goes into this town. He meets the people that are there. They tell their stories. So it's a graphic novel. Uh, Joe Sacco is a cartoonist along with being a reporter. And he basically um, just uh, illustrates the conversations that he has with the people in this town. I think that in today's day and age, like... um, there are a lot of people that we claim as heroes and rightly so, I think, you know, as far as like healthcare industry and um, service industry and all of that stuff. But um, the ability to report and tell stories uh, is just so, 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 so important. And it never fails to amaze me how people in power will do whatever they can to change a narrative to whatever they want it to be. So Safe Area Garage Day is the name of the graphic novel. It came out around like 2001, 2002. It's almost like 20 years old, but you can find it. Fascinating. That's a that's a history that I don't know much about. That sounds amazing. Okay, (laughs) Betsy, what have you got? What's number one? This book I actually have read and completed. (laughs) Very exciting. Um, my daughter and I, during quarantine, have tried to do reading at night on nights when we're being good, right? So we'll we'll read, and uh, and so this is so that's kind of how I finished this book, and I I really loved it, really steamed through it. 
because he is an author that I greatly appreciate and he's totally prolific and it's Stephen King and the book is called The Institute. Yes. This book came out last year and of course it's Stephen King. He's got like six million books and there's one coming out every other week. A, a lot of what you've been hearing about in quarantine has been his most recent book, even more recent than 2019 is If It Bleeds, which is his most recent book. But this one came out in, in 2019 I bought it. I took it. I carried it around with me. I carried it to Thanksgiving this year, not wow. reading it. Uh, and and I finally got into it. And it really is a book that asks the question of, do the ends justify the means? You know, if we're doing something that we think is really important, is it worth taking children from their home who have perhaps um, telekinetic powers murdering their parents when you take them and having to wake up in a faraway place in a bedroom that looks exactly like their own bedroom, but is not. And it's at a place called the Institute. I love the way he weaves characters together. It definitely has a spirit that I appreciated, have appreciated in quarantine of people against the world. I'm a big fan of people getting together to get stuff done and even especially if it's a group of kids, like because this has a bit of a Stranger Things vibe to it in the way that you've got kids who are working together to deal with bad guys. Uh, but it's really that idea of that hidden agenda that hides behind everything and kind of talking about Greg talking about systems and that sort of thing. The thing that, you know, with people who've been in power for a long time or have been funded for a long time that if they have an agenda that they're living out, then, then they want to continue to do that with impunity and that because they know what's right. It's a good, very Stephen Kingy kind of, you know, you got wise old people, you got a great <laughs> escape, you know, you've got, you've got adults being terrible to children. You know, it's, it's great. It's a, it's a great read. Thank you. Oh, I guess I'm next. You're yes, now. I, so I, my number one pick, and I did go in order, you know, sort of by the ones that impressed me the most. It's called In the Dream House, a memoir by Carmen Maria Machado. I can't even remember how it caught my eye. Uh, she's apparently the award-winning author of a book called Her Body and Other Parties. Um, but this book, so it's a memoir, and she's lesbian, uh, she's Latina, and the story takes place in college towns in the midwest and so it really took me back i'm not lesbian but i am gay and latino and i lived in a college town in the midwest so she falls into an abusive relationship with another woman in college and it's just it's scary the way she describes it she sort of i think it's in second person this is hard to explain and it's going to sound gimmicky but um each chapter is a short chapter and each chapter is titled like Dream House as Fairy Tale, Dream House as Ghost Story, Dream House as Bildung's Roman, Dream House as Star Trek episode, Dream House as Luck of the Draw. Part of the problem was, as a weird fat girl, you felt lucky. She did what you'd wished a million others had done, looked past arbitrary markers of social currency and senior brain and ferocious talent and quick wit. When you first started writing about fatness a long time ago in your live journal, who here was on live journal? <laughs> I miss it every day. 
A commenter said to you that you were pretty and smart and charming, but as long as you were fat, you never have your choice of lovers. You remember feeling outrage and then processing the reality, the practicality of what he'd said. You were so angry at the world. You wondered when she came along if this was what most people got to experience in their lives, a straight line from want to satisfaction, desire manifested and satisfied in reasonable succession. This had never been the case before. It had always been fraught. How many times had you said, if I just looked a little different, I'd be drowning in love. Now you get to drown without needing to change a single cell. Lucky you. She'll take a genre or a trope or a certain way of telling a story and she'll tell more of her narrative, but she'll tell it in such a way in each short chapter that it uses that metaphor. Like, oh, oh the wow. ghost story one, I don't remember what it was, but it's something like, you know, she's haunted by um, this woman, even though she's finally escaped her kind of thing. Or, But so she does this amazing thing. The writing is so matter-of-fact and honest, but it's scary. It's like a horror story. The way this woman abuses her, like, emotionally... Like she tells her, oh, you're just so fat and ugly. No one's going to love you. You're, you're lucky to have me. And then later on, there'll be like physical violence. And then she'll come crying to her. And as the reader, you're like, go away, run, run. And she goes back. And so you're wrapped up in the narrative of what's going to happen and how much worse is it going to get. It's just scary. But then it's sort of leavened a little by the chapters being short and having these kind of weird, per these interesting perspectives. So it's almost like a puzzle. It's scary and it's inventive and it's honest and it's brutal. It was fantastic. In the Dream House, Carmen Maria Machado. I highly recommend it. It's a memoir. And uh, that's all I'll say. I knew this sounded familiar. And I'm sitting here going, this sounds really familiar. It sounds really familiar. On the May 8th episode of This American Life called Stuck, they said they had had... They wanted to use this particular chapter of your book, of, of, of Carmaria Machado's book, but they hadn't found an episode for it to go into. And so they chose the chapter that's the choose your own adventure chapter. Yes. You know, like if you respond to her or if you, you know, go to this page, if you don't and you roll over, go to this page. Totally. And just and the, the chapter loops back in on itself. And because in that way of being in quarantine and feeling stuck, and, and so they use that chapter. So if anybody wants a taste of this book, there's a great, it's act two on that episode. It's really, really interesting. That's a great pick, Ricardo. All right. All right. See. I'm last. Please. All right. Bring it up. So my first pick is um, Dear Edward by Anne Napolitano. And this is also a pretty recent book. It was just published in January of this year. It's a really beautiful story. The premise might put you off, but I would encourage you to stick with it or consider it. The, the premise is that a family um, moves from New York to Los Angeles and they board a flight. And you know within the first page, it's the whole premise of the book, that the flight crashes. And there's one survivor. And the survivor is this 12-year-old boy. And um, he, you know, it's a huge worldwide news story. It's just really a bizarre miracle that he survives. And he goes to live with his aunt and uncle, who now um, are parents to a boy who's just super traumatized and not really understanding how to support him and parent him through that. So the premise is very scary. If you're afraid of flying at all, I would say don't <laughs> read this book because trigger, trigger warning. Yeah, because the plane crash aspect is spread out through the whole book. 
But ultimately, um, it was just the most life affirming, beautiful little story. Like I was weeping at the end and not from tragedy, but from hopefulness. It's one of the rare, like literary fiction books that is just really life affirming and hopeful. So it's sort of, the premise is sort of almost, um, fantastical like you sort of wonder like that's not possible how could something like that even happen but somehow she makes it um feel very um real and very present and you know in every big global news story that we ever hear about there are real people at the heart of those stories who have to live their lives and um the fact that in this story the life that is lived is really beautiful. It was just a really affirming thing to read. So again, if you're afraid of flying, please do not read this book. Dear Edward by Anne Napolitano. The cover's oh. beautiful. Yeah, it's very pretty. Yeah. Yeah. Great. Yeah. Hey, look well, at us. Yeah. So I hope everyone books. has a big list now of in their Goodreads of That's books right. to, to ride out this quarantine with. Thank you for joining us on the fifth annual episode of the Popping Collars Book Club on this, the longest running Episcopal podcast in the history of podcasts. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for sticking with us. You know what? If if you're a longtime listener of Popping Collars and you have taken one of our book recommendations in the past, please let us know. Um, just like throw a little message on our um, Facebook page. We'd love to know if you ever re- read one of the books that we recommended and what you thought of it. But more reliably, you can find Popping Collars on our website, poppingcollarspodcast.com. <laughs> uh, you can find <laughs> us on um, Apple Podcasts or Stitcher or any place where you get your podcast. Please subscribe and rate and review. So thank you, Greg. Thank you, Ricardo. Thank you, Betsy, um, for this wonderful episode of Popping Collars. And uh, keep those collars popped. Pop, pop. Yeah. yeah. We did it, Ricardo, with one minute to spare. <laughs>